0: I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. You're in the Transporter Room where there's a celebration going on. <laughs> it was this week, this week we got some really great news. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the equality of gay, lesbian, and transgender employment rights. That we are just like every other American not to be discriminated against, that it is illegal to discriminate against a transgender, gay, or lesbian. And I think it extends to bisexual people too,
1: just because of who we are. I'll tell you what, Human Rights won six to three, and Sonia Sotomayor gets the win. I think you can at least give Neil Gorsuch the save in this one. He wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't know where the scream, cry, laugh, I did, I did variations of all of them, Don. Um, when you look, at, you look at the scope of human rights, um, when you look at the scope of human rights, all the people out there who marched, who agitated, who hit the streets, who stayed in people's faces and didn't let up, this is your victory. This is your victory. Power conceded nothing without demand. And even in the most reactionary of times, when when people fight together, we win. It's been proven. And the thing that surprises me is why conservatives are so upset about this. Conservatives are always the ones talking about they're the job creators. And they're about jobs, jobs, jobs. So guess what? Millions of Americans are now protected protected on the job and millions more americans have a greater foothold in the workplace because of this but maybe conservatives really don't want that maybe they're not about jobs after all because i've heard a lot of complaining today don a lot of complaining. Christian, the Christian rights losing their sh- they're losing their lunch over this. They're losing they're they're perspiring over it. Places like the Alliance defending quote unquote freedom. And I'll tell you the truth, I'm glad they are because we're not done.
0: Hobby lobby's probably gonna be shutting shutting some doors because oh we can't let those people in. <laughs> oh, I'm just so happy. I mean, not all the news is good, but we did have some really big. Uh, uh, wins this week, in addition to the Supreme Court, which is the hugest thing, some people say even bigger than the marriage equality decision.
1: And I agree 100%. I mean, and to take none away from the marriage equality decision, because that opened up that opened up a lot of doors for a lot of the American working class. See, a lot of people believe that, oh, only the affluent benefited from marriage equality. No, every American did.
0: But my question is, you see Brooklyn? There were thousands of people who marched in Brooklyn for trans rights,
1: Thousands filled the streets. It was the, probably the biggest trans rally in our lifetime. At, I mean, at least on par with what you saw in Washington last year. Yeah. But but the thing that really did my heart, Don. What's that? Well, in Brooklyn and also in Boston, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to talk. I'm also, also in Boston as well, because they had an excellent trans rights rally there Saturday, the, that who was leading the way. And once again, it was black and brown trans people leading the way, and in Brooklyn, there were cisgender black folks right up there up front, black lives matter did. across New york city right New, across New York City were co-sponsors of the march and there and that's and that's what we need we need we need that alliance to come together. We need people to put we need people who are willing to say, "I may not understand stand this." But I understand that I can't build liberation without you. And I have to be and I have to fight for your liberation the same as you fight for mine. That's what that's what this that's what this moment is all about. And it's not just here. It's all the demonstrate. I've been the three demonstrations since our last show, Don. And I'll tell you, I'm seeing Galvanation. I'm seeing this galvanization across race, across gender, across class, across orientation, across everything and it's good to see and that's what's scaring the people people like the Roger Severinos of the world is that they're realizing we're hip to the divide and conquer game. We're starting to get hip to it and the more people and the more people don't fall into that trap the better we're going to be and we're going to and we may yet see some real change. Out of this wild year of 2020.
0: And for those who don't know, Roger Severino is the director of the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Health and Human Services. And on Friday afternoon, very late, he decided to uh, release the new rules for uh, health coverage, both insurance and in terms of doctor care. And the new rules say that doctors have every right, hospitals have every right to say, I don't feel comfortable treating you because you're transgender. And this is going to go into effect in August. And the point that we're making is this must be stopped.
1: Exactly. And it has to be stopped. Not only, but it's not only the trans protections. This, again, this affects every American. Because here's some of the other things that those changes affect. They will affect not only protections against transgender people, it will it will strike protections against discrimination based on any stere- on any sex stereotypes. Sure. I mean I deny, if you're a butch lesbian that can deny you care because you don't look quite right. Yeah,
0: plus and, women who want abortions can't um can't get an abortion. Uh, a doctor can say, uh it's against my principles to give you an abortion plus they're the stripping away the very simple very easy to do if you ask me um deployment of paraphernalia and pamphlets that help people who don't speak english
2: oh, they're gonna save 2.9 that...
0: billion dollars and not giving away uh information in people's languages i mean
1: my god and and i'll tell you that is a that's a big one that, and that is a big one nationwide, because that affect see a lot of people at first glance, that's an anti-immigrant move, Of course, supposedly. absolutely. But, but here's what this will affect. This will affect things that are matters of federal law. For example, for example, this will affect health care on indian reserve on on in on indigenous reservations. This will affect health care in areas such as Hawaii and and in American Samoa, because by law, by law, those pamphlets must be printed in native Hawaiian languages in Samoan, though I mean it's a lot of law that that all that will affect, for example, definitely affect Puerto Rico, yeah. And but now, and that's going to run up against law, so there's going to be a lot of challenges to this. And and again, this is about politics, but I noticed you were talking about Justice Alito. See, this is yeah. where it really cuts for these people because this ruling. Opens the door to a lot. There this is the last gasp, and there's a lot of things that could a lot of dominoes could fall for that from this.
0: Well, let's bring in our guest. Seth Corden is from Portland, Maine. Transgender sailor and sailmaker, Stephanie Helms.
2: Well, hello. How are you guys?
1: Doing great. How are you, Stephanie?
2: Hey, I'm all right. It's a beautiful day up here. Nice and nice and sunny and warm. It's fantastic.
0: So what was your reaction when you heard the news?
2: Well, you know, I don't have much to add to what you guys have said. I was, I was, uh, uh, I, I got on the, I got on the Supreme Court website at 9:59 yesterday, and just kept hitting refresh. I, 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 and I was fully prepared to spend the rest of my life fighting a, a decision that, that was that would have been on the on the par of Dred Scott. If if this decision had gone the other way, um, you know, a whole class of people would have would have um, been bound by precedent to to uh, live their lives as second class citizens, and it would have been effing awful, to be honest. And when the news came down, when I read those words that said uh, discrimination on the basis of sex and employment is uh, illegal, and it includes trans and uh, gay people, I, I, and the decision was 6-3, I said, here's, here's our liberation, at least one step towards justice, uh, and one step towards the recognition that all human beings have rights, and all human beings deserve to live their lives with dignity and honor. And it just warmed my heart. I I woke up this morning feeling so much better and so much more hopeful for the future. I, words fail me.
1: I think that that mirrors the feeling of, I think, everybody on this program today. Uh, and I like the fact that you, that you mentioned Dred Scott. I have been, I have been calling, what was, what they were proposing, Dred Scott 2.0? Because in many ways, it was it was not only a matter of defining employment rights to me; it was defining personhood. As an as a competitive athlete, what does this moment mean to you?
2: Well, as a competitive athlete, you know, uh, as a as woman, it means you know it means equal partic- participation. It means access. It means freedom. It means. uh um, it, the principle espoused by the court, by Neil F. N. Gorsuch, that that people can't be discriminated against on the basis of their sex. And the refusal of Gorsuch to define sex in a seventh grade biology class understanding in the junior high school bully sense of what that means was it means a lot and it's going to mean a lot uh in future because these issues will be pressed by trans kids by trans athletes by people who you know by anybody who wants to compete as who they are and you know sports is a right sports is a human right people ought to be um ought to be afforded all of the of the uh, opportunities they can possibly, they can possibly participate in as human beings with respect. So you know, as, an athlete, as an athlete as an, and as a human being, I couldn't be happier. Stephanie, tell us a little bit about
0: your background. I know you're a sailor. I know you make sales. How did you get into that? And tell us a little bit about your career.
2: I fell into sailing as my profession rather accidentally. I, I went to Brandeis University and graduated, came to Maine, um, and uh, was working for a government program and the funding ended for the program and I was looking for a job and went to work for a sailmaker and so, because I knew how to sew, et cetera, and, and, uh, and I always enjoyed sailing. The first time I was on a sailboat, I was at a summer camp. I was basically uh, take, taking care of horses. And uh, um, this fellow had a, a, a sailfish and said, hey, everyone want to take the thing out. And I was like 12 years old, 12, 12 13 years old, everyone want to take this thing out. I'll show you how to rig it up and you can go take it down the lake. It's all right, cool. This is back before helicopter parents and, and all of that stuff. And uh, so we rigged the boat up, and I took it down the lake, went down wind all the way down the lake, and then I had to turn around, sail upwind all the way back, and flip the boat over half a million times, laughing the entire time because it was so much fun. And uh, I sort of fell in love with it, and then, then got out of it, and then got back into it when I went to work for Sailmaker. And it's been an interesting trip. I got, I, I started actually learning the ins and outs more. Um, uh, in more de- in greater detail when I was in my mid 20s. So that's that's the sailing bit. Um, what did did you you asked about transition? Well, I was just curious. I'd like to hear your story. We've all got a story. Yeah, well, we sure do. I mean, I'm I'm I guess I would say that I'm I'm what you might call a classic. I first told my mom I was a girl when I was three. I was I, when i was two and a half i had a i had a pretty bad accident. and i stepped in a pot of boiling water and I, I don't want to get into how i stepped in the pot of boiling water but i did i had three degree you know, third degree burns in my left foot and part of the physical therapy was picking up marbles off the floor to keep the scarring down you know so when i was about this happened when i was two and a half when i was just about three i was Doing this exercise, picking these marbles up off the floor. My mom goes, "Good boy," and I go, "No, no, no, girl." <laughs> and it didn't go well, you know. So this, this was like 1956. It's like not not a lot of awareness. Now, granted, Harry Benjamin was operating since 1949, but who the hell knew about him? And uh, so I had you know, it was a long, slow thing. It's junior high school was horrid. I, I there's something about me that that uh, uh, was never her- hormonally quite right. Anyway, uh, uh, when I was when I was 11ish, 12ish, I started having boobs, and so boys would run up to me as cruel junior high school boys do and grab me by the tits and twist. That went I'm on not, for not almost an
0: entire. I had a nickname of Tits in high school. It was awful.
2: Yeah, it was pretty bad. So, anyway, um, you know, went to CNN, Doc, I was water, you know, there's uh, something curious here. Still, you know, my folks would not believe I was a girl. So, you know, you have to, as I guess as one does or certainly as one did at the time, you, you give up and you try to learn to be boy. Then you try to learn to be man. And then you try, you know, you put all of this away. And you you shove it down and, 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 you know, think, but it doesn't really go away. I mean, I think, I think for those of us who are strongly attached to our gender identity, it's something you realize and, it, and it's part of you and you can make, you can, you can make your peace with it. Many people are successful in doing that, but I never did. So when I was a, you know, when I was entering my 40s, it was like I, I was—I was getting to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And there were points in my life where self-harm was something that could have been a thing. Um, but so I—I I started hormones, cross-gender homo- hormones when I was 45, and uh, uh, and fully transitioned in terms of social transition by the time I was 48, 49-ish. This is
0: still long before well, Caitlyn Jenner came out, before Laverne Cox. Oh, oh, You're a pioneer.
2: Yeah, it's, it's 1998. 1998 was when I started um, HRT. And I had... Uh, GCS at the time it was SRS, whatever alphabet soup. I I had bottom surgery in 2002. Beautiful, Nina, Wisconsin.
0: Wow. I think you're on par with the with our your neighbor Jennifer Finney Boylan, in Maine. We
2: are very much on par. I think Jenny yeah. was was like six months ahead of me.
1: <laughs> well, now where does. Now where does sailing and racing come into this? Because you not only make sales, you're a competitive racer, you you're a director of you're a director of your regional association for US sailing. You've been involved in this sport. What got I mean, where did transition fit into you getting involved in the sport?
2: <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah. Well again, this was like two 2000- thousand the uh, it's like two, the, the proverbial shit hit the fan in about 2000. And um, um, I was a co-owner of a sailmaking business at the time that we'd started in 1983 and, uh, you know, had developed a whole bunch of relationships with people. And then it was okay. The, the sailing world is a very, very small world um and my business partner is a wonderful man he's done, we still work together i still sail with the guy but in 2001 um it was becoming difficult for him to um deal with the turmoil a number of customers were were sort of walking away, so we we dissolved the partnership, and I went off a bit into the wilderness, and uh, went to work for an art for an artist, a local artist by the name of Tom Crotty, who was who's poly, who's surprised the living daylights out of me. He was like 20 years older than I, and. Uh, Politics somewhat to the right of Attila the Hun, but we were very good friends and, and very good sailing friends as well. And he asked me to help run his art gallery, um, so that sort of saved my bacon. And I stayed with that for a while, and then uh, got back into got back into the sailing game in about 2006, working with. Uh, um, Working with SailMan, which is youth sailing program in Portland, so it was it was interesting. I, I, I dropped out of the sport for about well, I missed the 2003 season, recovering from GCS, and really kind of stayed away. And then people slowly started asking if I would race with them again. Just you know, random, random folks. Like, where's, where's Steph? Where's she gone? Is she doing anything? Maybe she could race with us. Because it is a game. I mean, the sailboat sailing is is an is an art. You know, it's a it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting pastime. But sailboat racing is a game. It's like playing it's like playing chess on a board that moves. Um, and and you you need to strategically place your your piece in the, in a place that will take favorable advantage of all of the of all of the conditions around you, and anticipating all of that stuff is a very complex game and it's hard to do well. Um, if you learn how to do it well, and people tend to appreciate your not only physical but but uh, tactical skills. In, in, in making boats go fast and making boats go in the right direction at the right time. So that's a skill I did develop over the course of twenty years of being in the business and sailing with some pretty uh some of the people who are who continue to be at the top of the at the top of the sport. I learned a lot from those people and uh and so my skills were there. They didn't go away um and people wanted to people wanted to see me back in it and over the course of time all of those people that reacted with some degree of horror i mean i had i didn't leave for transition i've been in maine since 1976 or 7 1977 and i transitioned in place in a very small state in a very small town uh and i don't know i think i'm just stubborn i didn't leave but uh over it was it one of the great satisfactions of my life is that uh over time all of those people who ran in horror to someone affirming their gender and affirming their sex um came back and got to know me, the real me, all of me. I mean, They missed me, which is really kind of cool. It's very cool. And, you know, I think
0: there are two schools of thought. One is that you leave your life behind and move on to a new world and become that new person in a new place where no one knows you from before. And then there's the place that you are in, which is a supportive environment that, you know, maybe not as supportive as, as it should have been, but eventually embraced you. Um, I did that. I stayed, uh, at my same job. I stayed in the same house. Um, the problem was that, you know, in my case, I was not welcome in my house and I was forced to leave. And then I got fired from my job. So, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I'm happier now than I've ever been. And not just this week, but just because of life. Um, Carly, what did you do in terms of relocation and transition?
1: Well, that's right. Well, the bulk of the bulk of my, of my, um shall I say my exploratory project that got me here was done after I did relocate after long, after I relocated. Um, by the time that I, that I really started looking at my transition, I was living and working in Omaha at the time to- I was living and working in Omaha in the nineties and then I moved here. I got a job. I got a job in the Northeast in I mean in the late nineties. But around 2010, 2011, when things backed up so much that I couldn't take it anymore, I had already been established in Connecticut. I had lived here. I had lived up here about 13 years. And It turns out this was the place where this was the place where everything's blossomed. Now they say everything happens for a reason. I guess that was the reason that was part of the reason for being here. Eventually is just that things caught up. And I was at a point where, okay, I'm at a safe, I'm at a place where I know it's safer to for me to deal with this and safer for me to look at it. And at the time I looked at so much change at the time, I really started really investigating it. A lot of the changes that happened, the, the law, the, um, the addition of the protections in 2011 happened. More and more of the laws got placed. Society went farther and farther down the road to where, I mean, not saying it was, not saying that it's easy by any stretch, but certainly easier. And actually, I was going through my investigative process at the time that Dawn was going through the living hell. And a lot of what Don, and we say that we talk about this often, a lot of what you go went through influenced me because I had a chance to look at it.
0: I like to say people were able to look at what I did and say, oh, I won't make that mistake.
1: (laughs) See, no, I didn't say that what I what I I didn't say anything like that. But what I saw was so was soberly where people were. But even where people were back five or six years ago, people have made a leap. And people have made a leap because look at where look at where we are. For example, what what happened? what, What just happened a few days ago with the Supreme Court decision? You're right. The polling on that five years ago was going way in the other direction. And now we're at a point where even probably the most reactionary conservative court we've seen in 60 years passed this.
2: I agree. We we, we have made tremendous progress. I mean, the 2000s were were very difficult, you know. And, And so what I saw 10 years later, uh, when you were going through your process, you know, wow, everything—this is so much easier. The stuff, we, the hoops we had to tr- jump through in the you know 1990s, and 2000s were were bad, and it was really great to see the changes there. I, I just don't want to go back there ever. I don't want to see the society go back there and be bad.
0: I think that's what we were afraid of when Trump got elected. We very doom and gloom, but Bryn Tannehill was basically saying, well, being absolutely yeah, sure before, before the next election. On Monday, Bryn tweeted, I would, I has never been more uh, happy to be wrong. <laughs> so listen, if you hear that sound, it means it's time for a break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about the US governor who is basically saying that federal funding is more important than transgender rights and you won't believe which state that is plus did you know it's captain picard day the day we're recording this we'll talk about that on the other side
1: welcome back to the transporter room i'm Carly webb along with don ennis and our guest stephanie helms competitive sailor i want to talk sailing here what, what, is your, what was your greatest moment right. in your mind as a competitor?
2: I was doing an overnight race from uh, Portland, Maine to Camden on uh, a boat. And our closest competitor was the exact same kind of boat. It's called One Design and Sport. And we, it was a 95-mile race. And we were crossing tacks and crossing jives the entire time, overnight, Um, and we got uh, to the last mile and a half of the race, and our competitor was a boat length ahead, or actually maybe seven boat lengths ahead, and we just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and got nose to nose even with them crossed the finish line, literally one foot ahead of that boat. And after that much time and that much distance, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a stellar moment. That was, that was one of many stellar moments, but that's the one that sticks out in my head.
1: Um, in, In sailing, when you're doing that much tacking and you're doing, and you're doing that much work. I mean, what does that fit? Take me inside the boat. What's that feeling like?
2: Um, you know, it's a, it's sailing. It's pretty funny because it, 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 there are long. You, one doesn't tack and tack and tack and tack and tack and tack and tack. And tack. You, you, one sort of tacks goes for a while. You know, feeling that you know you were able to see either sail closer to the wind when going upwind. Or deeper, going downwind, you know, more with the wind, going downwind. Uh, so you do, you, you execute your maneuvers strategically, uh, and spend a good deal of time on one tack or one jibe or the other, and then you frenetically maneuver around the boat. So there are bursts of energy that that go on, you know, particularly on distance races. You know, the people who sail across the oceans, you know, they're going to be on the same tack for a day. You know. It's pretty interesting, but you're always adjusting the sails and stuff. I mean, it's, it's a weird sport.
0: Well, you've heard me tell the story before, but my only experience in sailing was on a, you called it a sailfish. Is that right? Yeah. So in my twenties, I was at club med and I wanted to try it. And this French uh, sailing expert took me out and we, um, uh, what's the word, uh, overturned, um, sub what do you call it we capsized we capsized so many times we capsized so many times that he got out of the boat and walked back to shore um because we hadn't really gotten any further than where you could walk and he just was yelling and cursing at me in french and i had to drag the boat back um (laughs) i am not a successful sailor it takes a lot of patience and persistence
2: Uh, patience is key If you want to learn patience, go take a sailboat out.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, there's this case in a state where the federal government thinks it's wrong for transgender student athletes to compete along with cisgender student athletes. And what they've done is they've done an investigation and they've also uh, spoken out in a federal lawsuit that is trying to stop this state from having transgender student athletes compete. Ironically, the two transgender student athletes who are named throughout the lawsuit and the investigation just graduated this week. They're no longer high school students, but here's the question I have. Where does the governor stand in all this? It's Connecticut where Carly and I live, a state where our rights are enshrined in the constitution where for for seven years, student athletes have been allowed because of the constitution to compete fairly. And now that the federal government is threatening to take away its education federal funding and its aid, the governor says, well, I don't want to lose that funding, but he's not saying what he's going to do. He just says he'll talk to the NCAA. He'll talk to other sports organizations like the Olympics, but he's not defending the rights of transgender athletes. And I've been calling him out for two weeks. His press people won't get back to me. And to me, this is just outrageous that he's putting the the money ahead of our rights.
2: Well, it is outrageous. U.S. sailing's policy for transgender uh, competitors under the age of 18 is sailors may self-identify and compete as the gender they identify with unless they're unless they're competing at um certain high level world world level events at, in which case the regulations of that event govern you know i'm a, a my sport requires me to to declare myself be part of partly because of the industry i'm in uh, as a professional that means to compete as a woman i have to follow ioc policies i have to i have to um prove that my Free t- testosterone is under 10, nano, uh, 10 nanomoles per liter uh, over the course of a one-year period, and you know that's never going to happen for a trans kid. Uh, and as I say, U.S. sailing policy is very, very sensible. It's like if you're under 18, you're you're cool. I mean, I've got the policy in front of me, but I don't know how you're gonna, you know, how's the governor if he's looking to what sports federations are doing, then he's to find that most sports federations are, you know, are want people to compete. Most of my competitors want me to compete. They want me there. Women, men, they want me sailing. I've never had a situation where, where, you know, literally, never had a situation. I've been asked to compete on women's teams, and not one competitor in my sport has ever questioned who I was, what I was, and or. So it, the, the politicians are too easily influenced by people who just don't know what the hell they're talking about.
1: <laughs> but Stephanie, <laughs> one thing is as a person who's not only, who not only you run your region, you you have been president of your re, of your region's board for U.S. sailing. You work with a program that's working yeah. to get, that working to bring this sport. That's, con- seen, that's seen as the rather wealthy Bush family Kennebunkport sport to greater, greater masses of people.
2: There you go.
1: I mean, how do now, now add, and also work in kind of what you're doing, especially with youth to bring them into the sport. But for example, how would you handle a situation where you have a sailor, say, say at a regatta you're doing for Sail Main, and someone objects saying, that's one, of, that's one of those, that's a trans kid. They shouldn't be allowed to be in it, et cetera, et cetera. How would you as an official handle that?
2: Um well, I would I would refer to the rules, you know, and the rules are as published by US sailing. I, I looked actually looked into uh interscholastic sailing um what their thing is and and it's it says in their in you know it, you can't discriminate you can't exclude a competitor on the basis of gender. Uh, And U.S. Sailing is saying um, that means if you're under the age of 18, um, it's uh, U.S. Gender Identification Interim Policy issued May 13, 2019. Part C says sailors under the age of 18 competing in an event not included in Section A, which is the IOC, USOC, in other words, the Olympics, and or World Sailing, which is the world governing body, which has... Somewhat similar guidelines to U.S. Sailing's: Sailors under the age of 18 competing in an event not including Section A, including U.S. Sailing Championships, may self-identify and compete as the gender they identify with in their every quote everyday life unquote. Which is to say, I'd say they're eligible. Read the rules. As what they
0: it says. Me. Yep. So as you know, this show is called The Transporter Room because Carly and I are a bit of Star Trek nuts and fans and we like science fiction. And it just so happens to be Captain Picard Day, which is uh, the main character of Star Trek The Next Generation and the new CBS access show Star Trek Picard. Stephanie, do you have a, uh, a thing that you enjoy, a science fiction or fantasy or a book or a movie?
2: Oh, I'm a Trekkie. Oh, uh, that's wonderful. I'm also I'm also a Dune, also also a bit of a Dune fan, mostly because of the litany against fear, which got me through an awful lot.
0: Well, there's a new movie coming out. They're gonna reboot the film from the nineteen eighties. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it.
2: Fear is the Mind Killer. <laughs> no, actually talk about that. How did that get you through? Um Fear is the Mind Killer, Little Death. You know, just thinking of that, you know, I will, I will face my fear. I will pass over me and through me, and when it is, uh, when it is passed, it'll be gone. Only I will remain. I mean, I think that's that. That is a pretty profound thought. I didn't quote it quite accurately, but you know, you, it's scary having having been taught fear of who you are. It's scary to face it and finally overcome it and let it pass through you and let, and just get on with it. Examine examine what it did and and then get on with it. It's wow. not you. Your fear isn't you. You're bigger than that.
0: Wow. I think that's a great way to end this. Stephanie Helms, thank you so much for being our guest on the Transporter Room.
2: Hey, it was so much fun. Thank you.
0: Carly, set coordinates for Portland, Maine.
2: Heading back to Portland, Maine. Stay in right touch,
1: Stephanie. We're gonna have you back. All right. Happy to be back.
0: And thank you, Carly, for being with us. Another great week. This is just let's hope the hits keep on coming.
1: Let's hope so. Let's let let's and let it be and let it continue in Connecticut by ending that lawsuit and sending the ADF packing.
0: Amen.